Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine? Exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America. Discounts on brewers' publication books and merchandise. Access to a huge library of previous HomebrewCon seminars and talks. And early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Savor. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA and get a year's membership for just $48. And if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift. What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast with more technical difficulties than a Hayes Boy Brewery on release day. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich, and I didn't write an intro for this particular episode, so imagine one funny or not funny. It's up to you. Uh, I am joined by my two co-hosts. First up is Mr. Phil Palmisano. Hi. Good evening. How are you? Swell. How about you? <laughs> oh, just peachy. And also with us is a man of many words, Joel Codner. Hail Satan. <laughs> He's so excited. He, he, looks, he is it is just I'm, a joy a, a ball of happiness right now. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I'm it, <laughs> Seriously, like I'm upset right now. I I fucked up the interview with my technical difficulties, and uh, I I feel like garbage because of you know one of the questions I asked. I just I'm beating the shit out of myself right now, and it fucking sucks. Well, uh, Joel is alluding to what's coming up later in the episode, where we have an interview with Peter Anderson, lead brewer of Metropolitan Brewing in Chicago. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But before we, we do that, gentlemen, what are you drinking on this fine evening? Phil? Uh, I am drinking Indian Red Scorpion Sour Ale with Red Currant Cranberry and Raspberries from Tripping Animals out of Miami. Mm, a lot of red fruit in there. It's quite tasty. I think it's really, really red. It sort of looks like Kool-Aid red, um, but I'm drinking it out of the can, so I can't really tell. Before that, uh, during our interview, I was um, indulging on a Perrin Low Rise 100-calorie IPA. Oh, that's something new? No, they've just, um, it, it's, I believe, a uh, Michigan. Michigan, yeah, yeah, it's close to the brewery. So, Joel, what about you? I opened another Vine Stefaner Fest beer. Got very excited when I saw these at the store the other day. Uh, I was inspired to try more traditional uh, beers of this season from uh, Sam Tierney at Firestone Walker. Kind of schooling everybody the other day on Twitter about what Oktoberfests are really supposed to be like. and uh, Not Marzins. What's up? Not Marzins. What do you mean? He that He's specifically saying that Oktoberfests are not Marzins. Well, right. And, you know... I just picked up a whole bunch of books on lager because I really want to expand my knowledge. And obviously people like Pete that we interviewed and, you know, uh, a lot of places like Dovetail. I'm just, I'm very inspired by all these places and I want to, want to get back to getting into this kind of stuff and not, you know, fucking ho-hos and a sour. 
It's funny. I uh, this past week I went to a Total Wine and I was in behind somebody in line, and they had a uh, two six packs, and I was like, "Wow, that's an interesting." And it was your uh, your fest beer, you know. And I was standing in line with a bottle of Saison de Pont, and I was thinking the last time two people were probably standing in line with a Saison de Pont and uh, one Stefaner. I'm gonna butcher the name. Fest beer was. Uh, Probably back in the 1980s, <laughs> early 1990s. So uh, the appreciation for legacy, true import beer is um, something that uh, I, I really think we should all get behind. When I saw Phil uh, posting of him drinking Saison de Pont the other day, I was like, oh, that that is such a, a timeless classic. Uh, I had last year when I was living up in Philly, a collaboration between Saison DuPont and, uh, or DuPont, uh, and, uh, Allagash that was a Saison. And it was amazing, uh, to, to, to have a beer like that, uh, again, um, I'm drinking in, in commemoration of having talked to Peter, our copper point lager, uh, brand new cans, uh, as well. That uh, should be hitting the market very soon, if not already. And what you know, what fucking kills me is that we're talking about traditional styles, authenticity, uh, legacy. I wanted to bet on the Kentucky Derby yesterday, like online somehow. I, I would have figured out how. I know you can somehow, but I don't know shit about horse racing. I just know that you know I'm gonna go with a name that appeals to me. I know that makes no sense because. You know, that won't always work. Like, if th- there might be a horse called Malort that I would totally put, you know, <laughs> I would bet the farm and the horse probably sucks. But, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you bet, you know, you know, based on intuition or whatever. The fucking horse that won yesterday was called Authentic. Do you have any idea how much money I would have put on Authentic? Well, eight were to they odds? What were their odds? Because if you put <clears throat> eight a whole to one. On, eight to one? Not bad. I'd have put a thousand down on authentic easy. All right. So let's, let's get into, I think our first edition of the news since COVID really. Yeah. Do you, do you guys remember the news segment that we used to do before um, every major piece of the podcast? This Um, is news to me. This is this is the news. Um, so it, back then, back when we were doing everything uh, on a regular, uh, I guess, show, um, pre-COVID time, I like to call it, um, Dogfish Head Brewery uh, announced that they were going to have a quote-unquote ongoing residency at Concrete Beach Brewery in Wynwood, Florida, down in Miami. I should say Miami, Florida, in the Wynwood district. Um They took it to a whole new level this past week and said that they are actually taking over the Wynwood facility. And uh, though that's coming later in the year, you can actually follow all of their offerings on Instagram at Dogfish Head Miami. Um, They promised tasty treats, immersive art, and collaborations. I know all three of us sort of liked the Concrete Beach spot. Um, are you guys excited about this? Do you think it'll work a little over a thousand miles away from the mothership in Delaware? Mike? Uh, I, I I don't know if I'm excited, but I'm definitely intrigued by this because I, I did like the Concrete Beach spot. And not just for the spot. I, I liked Concrete Beach's beers. And... Uh, been there twice um and first time with joel as we we did the um the hurricane dorian collaboration with a bunch of other south florida breweries and uh kyle over there at concrete beach showed us all around uh to their amazing facility that like i I was blown away by how big their facility was. Like I thought when they got announced like, Oh, they're going to have like a seven barrel system with maybe some 15 tanks. uh, But most of their stuff is going to get done in Cincinnati or PA at their big facilities for, for Sam for Boston beer. And I I, like, they have their own canning line. They have horizontal uh, lagering tanks. I I was uh, just astonished. And then, 
we went as a group of friends and drank there and they had an amazing grisette on tap that I, I just loved. And I enjoy their Havana lager. I enjoyed a number of their can options that I've had before. So I was surprised uh, because they, I think they also had like a deal with um, Disney. Uh, they were, they had an official beer for uh, Galaxy's Edge uh, over there. Um, so I was very surprised and I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen there. Concrete Beach Havana Lager is staying a brand, and I guess Dogfish Head will continue to make it there, or it'll be made at like one of the Boston Beer facilities. But I think Dogfish Head will fit in well in there, especially with their whole off-centered thing, and Wynwood's a kind of off-centered neighborhood of Miami, so it might be uh, a good match. Let me just uh, echo Mike's shout-out to Kyle, a uh, really awesome dude. Uh, apparently, he was one of the guys on the R&D team for the Truly Lemonade I love so much. So uh, Kyle's the man down there. And <laughs> I could feel shaking his head. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I really wasn't sure what to think of the whole dogfish announcement in the beginning. Um, initially, it didn't totally make sense to me, um, you know, co- coming from... Delaware to Miami, but I, I think Mike's got a point. I think that off-centeredness, that that artsy kind of you know whatever vibe, you know, playful ingredients and and being uh, I don't I really don't know what, you know eccentric, off-centered, whatever you want to call it, it could work down there. You know, Kyle and them, uh, based on what I've seen online and some interactions I've had, they seem to be excited about it and are looking forward to what's next. So. It uh, doesn't seem like, uh, you know, there's anything to be too concerned about. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, have a beer with Sam at some point. Yeah, I'd, I am curious to sort of see how it all plays out in the long run. I, I think that initial year that they're in the facility will be a success just simply because of curiosity. People are people know the Dogfish Head brand. Um putting in a facility tap room collaboration area whatever you want to call it i think people are going to get excited and sort of check it out it it could breathe some reinvigoration into that brand in particular in south florida you know hopefully people pick up a 60 minute and try it again because it's a damn good beer um you know and now they're quote-unquote local because they will have a facility in South Florida. So I'll be curious to see how, how year two goes. I, as for them fitting into Wynwood, I, I think they fit in. They'll, they'll, they'll definitely sort of keep up with the Joneses down there, but it's it's going to be interesting to sort of see how year two goes. Can they keep that hype and that um, uh, you know consumer attention alive moving forward? I'm also really curious to see what they do during Art Basel. When uh, the streets get repainted, um, and and how they rehandle or how they handle their little square footage area, I think that'll be something that selfishly I'll sort of pay attention to. Yeah. So next uh, topic for news, which is one that our Slack channel has been hot on this week, uh, Surly Brewing Company out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, it announced that they will be closing their Minneapolis beer hall, um, but the news really doesn't end there. Um, a day before announcing the closure, the employees of the beer hall announced that they would be unionizing to push for increased wages and insurance coverage. Surly's owner, Omar Ansari, said that the plans were in the works well before the employees came out to announce their unionization and that revenue was down roughly 82% compared to last year. We've all been following this story. The story has taken multiple turns within the past week. Sort of what's your take on this entire situation? So I think I've said before on this podcast, when it comes to the business side of this, you know, in beer, I don't I don't know much. I, I, I don't navigate it well. I leave that thing, you know, to 
you know, people like you, Phil, and, and, and other smarter people that understand the marketing, the business, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, I, I like to stay on the production side, but, you know, after 28 years in South Florida, I feel like I've got a finely tuned bullshit detector and part of me just feels like it just doesn't smell right. The, you know, even in their own statement, they said, that, you know, that this is not good timing considering, you know, the attempted unionization by our staff, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it is pretty bad timing. I mean, it, it's pretty damn coincidental if you ask me. I mean, like I said, I I don't understand much about the business side of it, but a lot of smart people I do follow online think this is a classic union busting technique. I think it's unfortunate. I think people are losing respect for Surly. And and look, you know, we've got the cancel culture. We've got everybody quick to just shut everybody down and say, I don't want to hear from you ever again, you know, over things like this. I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. You know, I, like I said, I don't fully understand it, but it's going to be hard to convince a lot of people, especially during this time when so many are out of work, so many are looking for work in these, these, fucked up desperate times that you know your intentions are good natured i think everyone's fighting to survive and do what they can and i mean i i compared you know some of this to uh an experience i had at a previous brewery that i won't mention but you had an owner who didn't you know appreciate having to pay staff so he did some fucking trickery and under the guise of COVID safety or, or coronavirus, whatever, shut the place down and fired a lot of people via Facebook. So I necessarily think it's the same exact thing, but, you know, I just don't like the smell of it. Uh, yeah, I I think I echo a lot of Joel's set, uh, sediments there. Uh, but e- even if it is true that the the plan was to close that place making the announcement the very next day after the announcement of the uh, unionizing was terribly poor decision making like they didn't have to go through with pushing that out then they could have waited like cuz i they announced the closure as of like november 1st or something like that i'm sure they could have waited a couple weeks when I hate to say it when most of that news would have probably been in everyone's rear view mirror and then they could have announced it at that point, but they didn't. Um, and, and, you know, over the last few years, there's been news stories coming out of Surly that have rubbed me the wrong way, uh, especially with the, the departure of uh, Todd Haig. Uh, I, I hope I I might have butchered his last name there. Their old head brewer. Um, there apparently was some animosity there. Like apparently Omar is a difficult person to to work with, and I know that there are owners who all in any business that it can be difficult to work with. But I, I've heard stories about him uh, for many different channels. And the the whole darkness stuff that went on over the last couple of years with moving it and canceling it and uh, all of that, like, man, like the it, it's so crazy to think that like, oh, how the mighty have fallen is a is a term that comes to mind when you think about Surly and how uh, highly regarded and respected they were for a long period of time, and it just seems like they're. Their names getting uh, sent into the mud a little bit here, whether that is by other people or their own doing is up for debate. But it's it's hard for me to swallow a pill that says that this wasn't done to be intentional in some way towards the unionizing employees. I, you know, from a business perspective, his sales trends or their sales trends obviously overnight didn't just plummet down to 82% in the middle of, uh, August, uh, September. Um, so I, I do believe that this was probably something that was in the works. Um, 
as for the timing, I I think one thing to call out is we're in the brewing industry and we're not necessarily in the PR industry. Um, I, I don't think any of us are good PR people, to say the least. <laughs> that said, um, the timing was atrocious. And, yeah. and, and honestly, I don't know if it would have been worse to just announce it the same day and just, you know, say like, hey, unfortunately, due to business, you know, it's closing or, you know, maybe have an internal memo that, uh, you know, I, I, I 1000% subscribe to CYA on everything and I cover my ass and put everything I possibly can in writing. Rather, he could release something that shows a timestamp that says like, hey, look, we were talking about this. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I understand that they want to unionize. I want to help all of them as much as much as I possibly can. We're gonna try and run our tasting room until November. Feel free to unionize. That's fine. But just so you guys know, once winter hits, unfortunately, we're gonna have to close the doors. Um, our our budget doesn't allow us to run at the state approved fifty percent occupancy or twenty percent occupancy. Um, I, you know, I think that would have been a little bit more respectful. Hell, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I, it's an interesting situation to say the least. Yeah. So, um, final piece of news, uh, multiple sources, uh, as everyone knows, have reported shortages of aluminum cans, um, amid a increased sales of, uh, packaged beer during COVID-19. Um, this is impacting, uh, breweries, large and small, um, from every level and, and large meaning like some of the big, big guys are, you know, dealing with some large aluminum shortages. Um, Canarchy Craft Brewing Collective, which we don't talk about too much on this podcast. Um, they came out this week and, and put a unique spin on how they are, uh, dealing with these potential shortages, specifically of their two flagship brands, Oscar Blues, Dale's Paleo, and Cigar City Highlight. The Oscar Blues, Dale's Paleo cans, um, moving forward, they will be wrapping both of these cans, uh, at least for the month of September. And uh, the Oscar Blues, Dale's Paleo can will have a handwritten letter from Dale himself stating the following. 2020 is weird. First toilet paper, now aluminum. But there's no way some supply chain shenanigans would stop us from getting the freshest mother of a pale ale to you. We repurposed some cans and kept the beer flowing. Dale. Cigar City took a little bit of a different approach, and I shared it in our Slack channel, and we're going to share it on our Instagram this week. Um, six unique highlight cans sort of tying the, the beer itself back to the quote-unquote holy game of high lie um, with different poses and sport throws of, um, uh, of high lie players. So all that said, what's your spin on the unique approach that Canarchy decided to take on an aluminum shortage? Uh, I, I think that it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, the, the only thing that I, I have a question about is aluminum's in shortage but these are still aluminum you're old just cans they're oh are you taking old cans and re rewrapping them they're reusing if you if if you are a fan of oscar blues or cigar city you've realized that both of those brands have gone through a um rebranding yeah of sorts throughout the past few years um and uh canarchy is actually utilizing some of their old can artwork um so excess cans that were around the brewery um brands oh, like penner um old dale's paleo cans um utilizing some old artwork cans of some seasonal brands um it, truly recycling uh empty vessels you know uh that really didn't have any use but because of can contracts you were sitting on excess capacity of yeah. empty vessels so. Uh, I completely get you now. I um, at one one point last year when I was uh when I was living in Philly, uh, I grabbed a, a four pack of Modern Times cans that had a wrap on it, and I could see like 
there's something underneath this. So I peeled the wrap off once I, I bought it, obviously. And it was a different brand underneath. And I looked online and saw that they they had to reuse. Uh, they didn't get the uh, the cans for the brand in soon enough before the beer was ready. There was a delay. So they took another brand's cans, got wraps, and uh, used them that way. And I, I, now that I understand, I think that this is a cool, unique way of, uh, of dealing with said shortage. Um, I know we, we haven't had too many issues ourselves at Copper Point. Um, but I know other people have so much so like, um, uh, uh, we gave all of our, well, we didn't give, we sold all of our excess 16 ounce bright cans to uh, an, another brewery nearby who were unable to order some from their normal supplier. Um, so we didn't have any plans for a 16 ounce can uh, for a little while. So we're like, yeah, come, you guys can come by and pick them up and they're yours. Um, we just got an order in last week of like, 12 pallets of like our our new printed cans some 12 ounce blanks and we got a pallet of 16 ounce uh blanks too so it seems like and i remember at the beginning of all this crowlers were uh hard to get for a little bit too there was about a month uh lead time on those from our normal supplier uh but i i I think things will i've feel like the cans have gone through ebbs and flows before and I, I i think they will continue to do so especially if there's uh such a a big push towards more packaging uh, something that we're going to talk about with peter in a little bit so uh i think that this is cool the what what canarchy is doing to recycle in, in a sense unused cans yeah, and uh, you know it's funny because when COVID hit, it was crawlers, and then people were talking about carbon dioxide <laughs> here and there, like, oh, there's going to be a CO two shortage, um, and it, and it's funny to see aluminum, and aluminum is getting national attention right now, um, and, and before that, it was getting national attention due to taxes, um, but the yeah. aluminum that we're, you know, the national attention aluminum is getting right now is the fact that overnight, literally companies had to flip the switch and say, okay, well, we can't put beer in kegs anymore. So now we got a can, um, maybe sell it through our tasting room, hopefully sell it through a little bit of distribution, you know, and even the large guys, your Millers, your ABs, um, they saw an increase in their sales and the off premise. So when this situation came to me, the highlight situation in particular, I think looks really, really cool. Um, there's a social media campaign behind collecting all six of the cans. Um, if you sort of take a picture of it and use hashtag Ion Highlight, um, the brewery will do something. I don't know what it is, um, but it, you know, they want to show off the collection. From what I understand, all six of the cans will not be in one six-pack or 12-pack um, or variety pack. So multiple purchases would have to happen, I believe, for you to be able to collect all six. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not just like uh, every every six-pack will have each one. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. So some six-packs could have two of one, three of the other, and one of one. So... Um, but yeah, pretty cool. I, I was I was pretty excited about it um, as a uh, uh, homer uh, and longtime fanboy of Highline in particular. I am super excited to uh, not have holes on the shelf as much as possible and uh, just have fresh beer put out into the market. You know. Yeah. Um. So, all during that, Joel's computer took a crap. Uh, technical difficulties. And doesn't look like he's going to be able to get back in <laughs> on this recording. So we'll get his take on it some other time. Um, I think uh, we'll just uh, go ahead and move into the main part of the episode. Uh, we are really honored and happy to have a guest on this episode. We are joined by Peter Anderson. He is the lead brewer for Metropolitan Brewing in Chicago. 
Uh, we get a chance to sit down and talk to him about his history in brewing Metropolitan and their lager-only brewery that they have been at since 2009 and how that works out for them, how they're able to stick to their guns. Uh, we talk a little about, bit about Chicago. We talk a little bit about politics, which he really loves to talk about. And I think it was a really fun uh, conversation. We hope that you enjoy it. So uh, sit back and relax and uh, join us in talking with Peter Anderson from Metropolitan Brewing. All right, Peter, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's, it's uh, It took a long time to get here, but we're here. And uh, let's let's start things off with this. We are a Florida-based podcast, so a lot of people might not be familiar with Metropolitan Brewing and yourself. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background on you, uh, your brewing background, how you got into the the whole game here, and uh, just kind of let people know what Metropolitan and yourself are all about. Yeah, sure. So. Uh, my name is Peter Anderson. I am not native of Chicago. I'm from uh, Seattle, Washington, originally. Uh, Metropolitan is a lager-only brewery. Um, we do make a couple ales during the year, but it's a Kolsch, <laughs> uh, and that is lagered, so everything is cold. We cold brew, we cold filter, we cold package. Um, I got into this game um, by getting fired from a job. Uh, I worked in the restaurant industry. I was a restaurant manager. Um, and I wasn't very good at it. And they very justifiably let me go. And it was the right thing for them to do. <laughs> um, and I, they gave me a little bit of severance. And my wife said, well, you've always wanted to like try homebrewing. So why don't you go buy a homebrew kit with your last paycheck? Um, long story short, it became all encompassing. Like I read every book I could get my hands on. I'm on like homebrewtalk.com, just like reading everything and not posting at all because I didn't want to sound like an idiot. Um, and then, you know, three years later, I basically just taking homebrew to every festival I could get into trying to give my beer to brewers saying, I'll work for free. I don't care what it takes. Like, let's do this kind of thing. Um, and that led me to be a volunteer at a new brewery. Um, and my first day at that new brewery was their first brew day ever. And I had no idea what I was doing never been in a commercial brewery at all before just trying to like keep up or whatever um <laughs> and the head brewer was this older guy maybe he knew what he was doing maybe he didn't but his strike temperature was like 170 degrees and i was like how many degrees are you gonna drop like i didn't know i was like maybe you know home brewery dropped like 10 11 maybe 12 degrees he's like Oh, we'll come in right around 50, like 150. And I'm like, all right, man, cool. <laughs> and then he never took a mash temperature. He never took a mash pH. And I was like, I do those things and I'm a home brewer. Like clearly this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And the, whatever, if the beer gets into the fermenter, it finishes out at like, you know, like seven Play-Doh and it's supposed to be an IPA. I'm just like, all right, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so I worked there for about a year. I got hired eventually, worked there for about a year, and then uh, across the street from that brewery was Metropolitan Brewing. And I would ba just basically just made friends with them and let them know that I was kind of looking around for something. And they ended up hiring me part-time at first and then full-time. And here we are for almost five years later, I think. And I'm, uh, I'm their lead brewer, so I produce wort. Um, sometimes I get recipe development in there as well sometimes I don't most of the time I'm just making beer um you know following the recipe as it were uh but yeah I love it I love working there we have an awesome space right on the Chicago River big old tap room out there huge patio uh, and half of it you can sit on <laughs> uh, and, and as an act of a uh, unification I have a tiny bottle of Malort that I would like to take part in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else has one nearby, they're welcome uh, to have some too. Mine's, uh, I've got them downstairs. Cheers. 
Uh, Joel, you're not allowed to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might not know this. I'm the only one on this show who doesn't like Malort. I did binge, binge listen like 15 episodes, so I am aware of that, I guess. I oh apologize for your ear holes. Mm. Like, I mean... <laughs> Um, you, you said you've been at Metro for five years. What, uh, how long has the brewery been about? Yeah. Brewery, uh, shipped its first kegs of beer in 2009. Wow. Production breweries in Chicago at the time was Goose Island and two brothers. Um, Revolution and Half Acre opened within the year after we opened, um, yeah, and that, that was our original location. We had about 4,000 square feet. Um, toward the end there, we were so out of capacity that we would start the day by putting like 12 pallets of stuff out on the sidewalk so that we could work for the day. And then we'd have to bring it all in at the end of the night. <laughs> it was pretty wild, man. And we moved into our current facility almost three years ago. And now we have 25,000 square feet, which is a lot more manageable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I first got to meet you back in December of last year. I was up there for 48 hours with my wife for a business trip for her. And, you know, you messaged me on Twitter and said, hey, come by. I'm working the tap room today. And I'm so glad you did because there were so many places for me to go in so little time. And I was scrambling and I had no real plan. And we went and came and saw you first. And it's an experience that I've been thinking about constantly since then. Um, you know, there's such a contrast between there and here. I feel like Florida can be very trend heavy and following all the hype and the, you know, I, I've seen a lot of breweries come up and open up and, and a lot of really good guys who, you know, very well-meaning, very, you know, solid beers, seemingly getting impatient, like, oh, we got to go for that funky Buddha money. We got to start putting pancakes in our beer we've got to we've got to see what breakfast cereal is on sale and it's maddening because I want an experience here like you have at Metro I mean it couldn't have been a better day for me I'm, I'm eternally grateful just all of the amazing solid traditional styles and everything tasted great the staff was amazing you were awesome you took us in the back and we got to drink Pilsner from the bright tank uh, it was just phenomenal and you know, I, I, I get very down on the scene down here sometimes, and I don't mean it against like anyone personally, but it just really wears me out that it seems like it's this arms race of adjuncts and hype and colors. And I mean, while I was trying to get my computer up and running here, I, I wandered over to Instagram and saw somebody with a goddamn glass of beer that had whipped cream spread all around the rim, like, like they had used like a, a cake icing spatula around it. Like I just, I, I could have thrown my phone out the window if I weren't trying to get online. But um, you know, how how do you guys navigate the hype heavy trendy waters of 2020? You know, sticking to your guns like that. And do you do you get any blowback? Do you get people looking for hazies or pastry stuff? Uh, well, first. Thank you for your compliments. That's very flattering. We're, we were very glad that we could make that, that evening happen for you and, and for all the other people that were there. Um, how do we navigate it? Um, we don't. We do exactly what we want to do. And if people want to drink that, that's great. And if they don't, we're not chasing after them. Um, one of our one of our taglines that we put on our t-shirts is beer for the proletariat and the idea is that we want our beer to be as universally appealing as possible um so my dad loves my, our kolsch my my father-in-law loves our pilsner because it tastes like the beer they grew up with you know like we're the brands we brew we're trying to make them timeless so that we don't have to worry about now because they will always be good, you know? Um, and really like we had a little bit of a head start because we started this brewery in Chicago when there weren't a lot of breweries around and we got to pick our spot and stand in it and be the only ones there for so long. Um, and that's a little bit of an advantage, but as time has gone on, 
you know, revolution is like 50 times bigger than we are. You know, half acre is, you know, 40 times bigger than we are. And they're making tremendous beer. And the reason we can stand up with them is because we make something very specific, I would say better than most people in our market. Um, and people can just depend on it. Like if you grab a crankshaft, it's gonna taste like crankshaft every single time. It's that consistency year to year, month to month, that really like keeps people coming back, you know? Especially now with the COVID pandemic, we're seeing our core brands absolutely carrying the day. Um, like people in our market are looking for things that are dependable and not the newest, hottest thing, you know? I don't know what it is in the rest of the country, but that's that's what we're seeing here. Well, that actually brings up a really good uh, topic, which unfortunately COVID we're living in right now. How is this directly impacting your uh, tap room? Uh, the availability of some of your beers. I am, you know, you just said seasonality or one-off stuff really isn't of importance. It's that tried, true flagship brand that everybody knows. Um, how is it impacting Chicago in general, but then also your business specifically? Sure. So, you know, Chicago was hit pretty early. Um, and our mayor and governor completely shut everything down. You know, no bars, no restaurants, the parks were closed. You like essential services only basically. And we did that for over a month. I think it was maybe a little longer than that even. Um, and that was the right thing to do. We basically in the brewery, like we were selling beer to like to go here and there. Our distributor was still selling package, but it was a lot of, you know, packaging off of kegs and stuff that we had just produced to get into the summer. Um, but really what's happened since we've been able to get our tap room reopened, which I think was like mid June. Um, we don't have any indoor seating at all. It's not allowed. We don't serve food. And as we all know, food is a known coronavirus uh, preventative. Um, <laughs> so stupid. Um, so we have a patio. Our patio has like 18 tables on it. 18 tables? Something like that. Um, and right now we're doing similar numbers on the patio that we did in the tap room last year. Um, which is to say we're paying rent on a tap room that doesn't make money and paying rent on a patio that does. Um, fortunately, we've been able to like navigate it, get some like some loans, PPP money, that kind of thing to kind of keep us afloat. It seems like we're going to be fine. Um, winter is a whole nother bag of beans because it does get extraordinarily cold here and patios will just be completely nullified. Um, so that'll be a, an interesting challenge. Um, but overall, like we've only seen one or two breweries close here, which is really surprising. Um, one of them was kind of probably on its way out already. Um, and it was kind of the last nail kind of thing. Um, but you know, like we used to do 50, 50 keg to package and now we're almost entirely package. Um, we would normally brew like 400 barrels of Oktoberfest. We only brewed like 120, wow. you know, our next seasonal we'd brew like 90 barrels of, we're going to do 30. Um, but at the same time we rolled out cans for the first time ever. And we have three new year, or we put our two biggest selling flagships into cans plus a Hellas that we've never packaged before. And that thing is just crushing. It's flying out the door. And we added a Dortmunder in cans as well. So we have new stuff for people, but it's all stuff that we were going to put out anyway. And the timeline just got pushed back, you know? So it's been interesting. <laughs> Let me tell you cans in our brewery was a big deal. And now they're, they're outpacing the bottles, which that's awesome. Not a surprise. Yeah, I I think I think we saw like Phil could probably confirm this because he's our he's our IRI numbers guy. Like the the core brand stuff became super popular down here. Like because that was what was in grocery stores. That was what was in convenience stores that remained open, and we we were selling to go in our place, but, and we had, we were putting on like special things here and there for crowler fills, but it was our six packs of, of lager and, and a 10, our, our red IPA and our Pilsner and that stuff that was continually going out the door super fast. Yeah. And, 
even into today now, our package numbers have picked up considerably. Our kegs have gotten back to being a decent number, but yeah, we're we skew super high, just like you with the with the package. Maybe not almost entirely, but I would say we're probably in the seventy to thirty range on on our package to kegs now. When we yeah. were pretty split, we used to have some brands that were like keg only, and the packaging guys would like bitch and moan oh i got a big kegging week we got all these kegs to wash and now like the tables turned and it's like really another bottling day holy crap can we just fill some kegs <laughs> so much faster <laughs> you know it's like i'm working in packaging the seller guy's working in packaging i mean our whole our whole staff is only five people and normally like two guys can handle packaging with a little bit of help but now literally all of us have three days in packaging every week because there's so many bottles to fill and so many cans to fill. And then it's like, yeah, we're going to fill up a pallet of kegs. And then, you know, that's it for this beer. <laughs> it's, we'd like it to get back to 70, 30. That would be nice. <laughs> how, how many barrels did Metro make last year? Uh, last year we made just under 4,000. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's not, bot. <laughs> from the numbers that you were saying for like how much you were anticipating doing for Oktoberfest, I would have expected way more. Well, Oktoberfest for us outsells two of our year round brands. In really? Two and a half. Wow. Months. As I a mean, seasonal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my first year as the brewer there, we were still in our old space on a 15 barrel, two vessel system. And we had to produce something like 360 barrels of Oktoberfest. And I, we do our production meeting on Monday and they're like, all right, Peter, tomorrow you're brewing uh, two turns of crankshaft. Uh, and then uh, Tuesday, you're brewing two turns of Oktoberfest. And then Thursday, you're brewing two turns of Oktoberfest. And then Friday, you're brewing two turns of Oktoberfest. And that was my life for like six weeks. <laughs> it's just brewing Oktoberfest ad nauseum <laughs> and so we finally moved into our new system which is 30 barrel three vessel and it's like i can knock out all the Oktoberfest in one week which is fantastic <laughs> it's so much easier <laughs> yeah it's become a beast it's a it's taken on a life of its own put it that way we'll go on a weekend and like last summer in the tap room we'd go through like eight kegs of Oktoberfest every week easily wow. just flying <laughs> Flying leader mugs, the whole nine yards. And this year, you guys, no can on that, just bottle, but you did put small format out into we the actually, market. We actually did put it in cans. We, uh, when we were deciding how to how to package it, we realized that we didn't have any packaging for six packs or labels at all, and so it became a pretty easy decision. Just be like, well, instead of investing all that money into six pack carriers and labels, why don't we just get a can label? and do that. So we did 1200 cases of cans of Oktoberfest to our distributor <laughs> and they are gone. They're already gone. Wow. So, and impressive. is that just the Chicago metro area? Yeah. Yeah. I think a little bit got, got to the rest of Illinois, but the vast majority of it was local. Yeah. So Joel and I's brewery we used to work for, we did a little over 4,000 barrels a year there. We never made close to 1200 cases of anything like that uh, that's nuts yeah it's it's a monster <laughs> <laughs> but when it's over then we get to make the rye dunkel which is a much more difficult brew day <laughs> so <laughs> lots of is rice it, holes is that the one you were talking about that day where it was like just this day-long runoff yeah, our boulder is like, if we're doing two turns, it's a pretty easily like a 14-hour day. Um, wow. Though I did convince the boss to uh, get some bioglucanase this year so we can uh, skip the uh, beta-glucan rest, which is a whole beast on its own. So we'll see. We're only making one turn of it this year. Again, it's a seasonal, so we're going to make 30 barrels and keep most of it in-house. Um, we might send a pallet of bottles to our distributor, and that'll be about it, you know? And I, feel, I feel like that totally speaks to what I was getting at earlier about the culture there. I mean, that is just insanely impressive. I feel like there are some breweries here who wouldn't do that with some of their hype stuff. 
not as at far all. as like long brudes. No, I mean, like, uh, sorry, I was, I was just going back to what you were saying about the Oktoberfest and the volume and it being gone already. I mean, does, does yeah. it seem like the prevailing, and I don't mean to go backwards here in the conversation, but I mean, just to kind of respond to that, does it feel like that that's more of like what the culture is out there? Because, you know, Mike was kind of interviewing me on our last episode and he had this question about like, what's my obsession with Chicago? And aside from, you know, being a native there the first you know maybe quarter or so of my life um you know that last trip really impressed me as well as you know a few years ago when i got to do the quick course at siebel um you know it just it feels more like working man blue collar it's not as flashy and trendy and you know to hear you talk about those numbers i think just really speaks about like what beer is is really like out there um, for us, yeah, that, that tracks, but I mean, there's plenty of people putting pastry shouts, stouts and froyo machines out here. Like there's tons <laughs> my of my favorite. IPA. I mean, oh, we've taken so gold in the hazy IPA category two years in a row, you know, like Alarmist took it the first year, by the way, Gary Gulley, you're not listening to this, but you're welcome for letting you intern at our brewery. Um, <laughs> the owner of Alarmist got it got done with Siebel and interned at Metro and then went and opened his own brewery and got gold hazy IPA so there you go the first year it was a style so thanks you're welcome jerk um <laughs> yeah maybe there's plenty of that here but the reason that we get away with what we're doing is because people trust us it's consistent it's quality like when we put out Oktoberfest you know exactly what you're getting it's not going to be different from last year it's going to be exactly the same beer you know, people trust it. There was a, there was an account out in the suburbs that would just flat out order like 48 kegs right when we shipped it. Just take all of it. <laughs> and like one account, there you go, here's 48 kegs. And that would be, you know, a quarter of the kegs we'd send. Would you crazy. say, would then, you say, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, would you say it feels good to take those hazy awards though? you know, and not have it be, you know, Boston or, or wherever so they can be even more like up their own asses about it? I mean, it, it's hard to like say it feels good or it doesn't feel good. Like we're not a brewery that enters a lot of beer competitions. Like we're really proud of our friends that have won those awards. Old Irving Brewing being one of the other ones that I think they won either silver or gold last year. Um, at GABF for that like they're great guys and make awesome beer are we proud of them 100% do we care that New England has to like stick it in their craw a little bit we don't really care you know we're, we're not we're just here to make good beer for people like Chicago is that working city like make whatever you want drink whatever you want have fun with it go as deep into the rabbit hole as you want um, we're not going to judge you for it just have a beer. It's fine. You know, knock off with your shift. Like I have a, I'm drinking a raspberry lime kettle sour that my wife's brewery makes. It's silly, but it tastes delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to shout it out? Mm. Urban Brew Labs. Yeah. They actually bought our old brewery um, oh. uh, and uh, opened up shop there about three years ago, right after we moved out. And my wife just walked in to say hi. 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 How's it going? Hi. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Urban Brew Labs. He's actually a, a Boston native, the owner is. But his, uh, his mom lives here and he moved back to be closer to family and whatnot. And he's got a raspberry lime kettle sour called uh, Lime and Mother Pucker. And it's delicious. Is that what you're drinking? Yeah. Great name. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we're going to wrap things up here in just a little bit. Uh, anything that you want to uh, add in here, Peter, uh, mention, ask of us? Uh, yeah. Can can you three promise that Florida will be blue in this election? <laughs> I can't promise if they can count our votes. I, I, I'm still not confident in that, unfortunately. <laughs> 
as the one true Floridian on the podcast. Uh, we'll do our I, best. Though. I can almost guarantee that the counties that we live in will be blue, but <laughs> the whole state, I. I'm, I'm going to shout out one organization. Uh, Go for it. Fair Fight 2020 is uh, Stacey Abrams' organization to fight voter suppression. She uh, lost the Georgia gubernatorial race because of voter suppression. Uh, if you have five dollars or more, or one dollar or more, please donate to her. It is very important that we get every vote in this election for either side, um, and that democracy continues to live. Yeah. That's what I'll say about that. Fun deal. Um, you want to plug anything? Uh, promote uh, Twitter handles or sure, yeah. yeah. So my Twitter handle is PC Anderson. Um, the C is my middle initial. Has nothing to do with my politics whatsoever. Um, <laughs> if you do follow me, I do post about politics very frequently. Um, and then kind of crap. Up. I got a new hashtag. Uh, hashtag fuck chunks. Um, it's all about fucking chunky beer because that stuff's gross. Please don't do it. And then on Instagram, you can follow me at Barley Tech. Otherwise, come to Metropolitan. If you live in Chicago, have a beer on the patio before it's too late. Summer's ending. I have uh, one last question. Uh, where would you recommend one move, should they be so inclined, in Chicago? What neighborhood in Chicago? Yeah. Uh, all of them are very expensive. <laughs> um, I really think right now Avondale and uh, Albany Park are kind of the, the next up and coming neighborhoods. A lot of good culture starting in those areas. Um, I live in Andersonville, but it is super overpriced and I have the only cheap apartment up here. Um, and only because I moved in 10 years ago and my landlord likes me. <laughs> and you're named after the neighborhood. I am named after the neighborhood. <laughs> well, I, actually I moved here because the hop leaf is here. The best beer bar in the whole city is two blocks from my house and uh shout out to michael roper who has a very safe comfortable environment during these COVID times it's one of the only places that i feel comfortable going actually which is really nice awesome, awesome. Nice. and they have us on draft so you know <laughs> extra perks so uh peter i'm gonna i'm gonna write out with one final question for you sure um taco bell order what are you ordering what and and you've never heard this question before on United no, Drink. This no, is a I brand new one. It. We're starting it today with you. What are you ordering at Taco Bell? Uh, I'll tell you what. There, there. So a mile from our brewery, there's a Menards, our favorite hardware store. Across the street from the Menards is a Taco Bell. I tell you what. If I'm near a Taco Bell, I'm gonna take care of the boys back at the brewery. We're getting the party pack, Doritos, tacos, locos. You know, with Supreme everything on them. They better put enough hot sauce in that packet to drown an elephant because <laughs> we like our hot sauce. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the order. We're getting tacos for the boys. Awesome. Very good answer. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for putting up with some technical difficulties and waiting out said technical difficulties. No names being named, Joel. Uh, <laughs> I keep. <laughs> keep doing what you guys are doing over there I, I i look forward to the day that i can come to chicago and drink some beer over there hit me up find me on twitter send me a dm i'm happy to take care of the industry it's all we got right yeah well if you ever find your way down here in florida hit us up please uh we'd be more than happy to show you around our breweries as well so don't tempt me. I got to get down there before you fall into the ocean, you know? I heard I heard winter's cold up there. Somebody told me that recently. So, um, story. you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can get uh, COVID under control and you can come visit soon. Travel should happen someday, I hope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so thank, much. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, man. All right, have a good one. All right, that was a really fun time, despite having... That was some, a great conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I I've interacted with Peter on Twitter a number of times, been following him for a while now. Uh, and it was really nice to, uh, actually talk with him, uh, somewhat in person, uh, over, over zoom. And, uh, he's a, he's a really smart dude, uh, about this brewing industry game, the techniques. He's just a smart dude in general and a a really fun conversation. And, uh, hopefully uh, maybe, maybe sometime he can uh, come by here again and uh, have some more fun with us. As I said, yeah, for I, sure. I look forward to being able to get up to Chicago and having some of their beer someday. You know, it was funny this past week, I was thinking about different places I wanted to revisit in my life, just like, you know, areas and Chicago was like number one. Um, before we started recording, we were talking about different trips to Chicago and, Every single time I go, I find something new and exciting about that area, um, and it just makes me want to go back. The people are awesome. Um, you know, now knowing so many more breweries, it's, uh, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm super stoked. I'm really disappointed their Oktoberfest sold out so quickly um, <laughs> because I was definitely, I, like, as he was talking about it, I was pulling up the Benny's website <laughs> to see if Benny's had it and if I could get it shipped and if not maybe liquor barn or one of those other um non-sponsors of the show um would get us some uh some beer down here with a uh malort order so did you find any no i ah. didn't so just um, shame but it is what it is i know we've talked in uh person by the way we still never got joel back so it's just phil and i um We've talked before about how cool it would be for the three of us to each go and like spend a weekend in uh, the the areas where we grew up so that we can kind of show each other around and uh, like Joel uh, showing us around Chicago, you in Tampa and uh, me in Philly. And I, I still think that that is something that we should do someday, whether it be documented or just for our own enjoyment. Uh, because I mean, I, I, I think about it every day of like w- when a uh, friend of the show, Kevin, came up and visited me in Philly and how I got to show him around uh, the city that I love so much and uh, show him where I liked to eat and drink and walk around and enjoy. And I would even though I've had a good bit of experience in Tampa with you and Joel, uh, Intel, I would love for you to be able to like, kind of show us what Tampa is to you and Joel to show us what Chicago is to him. And, uh, I think that would be a really fun time. Yeah, absolutely. We had a, a short trip, uh, for uh, CBC up in Philadelphia, but that, I mean, during the days we were stuck in, uh, you know, banquet hall rooms and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you and know, I we, didn't we know the a... city as well uh, then as oh. I, cause I grew up in the suburbs and yeah. now after spending a year, I'm by no means an expert in the city, but I mean, I know a lot more about the city than I did even then. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But um, but that was fun. That was, yeah. you know, we were talking about doing interviews on this podcast for, I think, since we started um, the podcast back up again and being able to actually execute it, um, you know, and, and have all three of us on, uh, <laughs> I should say, at least during the interview, um, you know, it is a positive thing. So i um, super excited, looking forward to more of them. I think we do have another interview lined up, hopefully for the next show, and hopefully we can keep this sort of rolling where yeah. um, we get that fourth voice in. Uh, I, I, we won't go ahead and say who it is just yet. We'll maybe put that. Maybe you should follow us on our uh, social media at United you We should. Drink on Twitter or United We Drink Highly Pod, recommended. And uh, we will uh, leak that information to you. Uh, just like we are leaking uh, canarchy information to you as well, we're now leakers. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you, Wiki United, we drink uh, leaks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> United, we drink leaks. Um, only available here on UnitedWeDrink.com. Um, 
Phil, and we don't charge you on a Patreon page or anything of that nature for our leaks. You know, we uh, we give them to you for free because that's how things should be. And I've given up. And we're also dumb with money. So yeah. Phil, do you want to plug anything uh, before we sign off here? Uh, I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. Um, it, so you can follow me at Dos Birigos, Um And on Instagram, you can follow me on ppalmasano77 and see my adventures in family life and uh, cartooning. <laughs> you can uh, you can follow Joel at Florida, D-U-H, Brewer, on both Twitter and Instagram. He's been... Uh, He's been in a mood of uh, disabling his Twitter account uh, for a day here and there. Uh, so anytime you see that happen, don't worry about him. He's most likely okay. Uh, if you are really worried about him, you can always uh, get in touch with me at Mike Loves Beer uh, on Twitter or Instagram as I am now. Uh, I have dubbed myself as of last week his official spokesperson for when he nukes his Twitter account for a couple days. Um, other than that, uh, check out our, uh, our store. If you want to buy a shirt, button, pin, or even mask, uh, they are available at unitedwedrink.com slash store. Uh, you can subscribe to this show on any of the big podcast apps, uh, including Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, all of them. You should be able to find this show if you're on Apple podcasts and, you have the time. It literally takes like two minutes, if that, and it doesn't hurt at all to leave us a five-star uh, review, a five-star rating. And if you can write a review, that also helps the show out a lot. Um, I, I guarantee it does not cause physical pain. So It actually that, makes you feel better about yourself. Yes. You did a good it, deed it's scientifically to a couple, proven. well, three questionable people. Um, but yeah, we'll be back here in two weeks for another interview and, uh, for Joel cheers to enjoy our Satan. Enjoy our beast. <laughs> See you guys. We'll we'll just use the audio from from the call. Yeah. Okay. You'll sound like you're in a toilet. Yeah, maybe go sit in your bathroom. It'll like cancel itself out. <laughs> 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 oh.